It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Responsibilities as members of Christ's body. 
We are members of His body. We're going to talk today again about body life. You know, Ephesians 4 is one of the richest chapters in the entire Bible. Of course, we can easily study it in depth for a period of many weeks, but here today we're just going to have an overview of chapter 4. A rooster, it is said, was showing his hens an ostrich egg. You heard that correct. Let me let me repeat that just so you, you I make sure I got your attention. A rooster was showing his hens an ostrich egg. He said, I don't want to belittle your efforts, he told them, but I want to call your attention to what is being done elsewhere. But I'm Ostrich egg. You know, they're a lot bigger than the chicken. Island. I want to I want to call your attention, ladies, to what's being done elsewhere. You know, we apply that to the church. Somebody say, oh me. You can't say amen. The so-called practical portions of scripture are not intended to make us feel that we have failed in our responsibilities as a Christian. Instead, they're given to us by the Holy Spirit to show us what God expects of us and to explain His provisions for our doing it. In other words, God doesn't want His hands to lay an ostrich egg, but He does want us to do what He's called us to do. And in our own minds, it may be like laying an ostrich egg, but really, the Scripture says in Philippians 4 that we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. And that's really what... Paul is reiterating here in Ephesians to the church is that we can do what God's called us to do because He equips us for body life. Somebody say amen. amen. But you know, of course, all Scripture, not just Ephesians 4 and others like it, all Scripture is practical. Somebody say amen. amen. Even the parts which we like to think are purely doctrinal. What a person believes pretty well determines what a person is. Can I get an amen? amen? And what a person is determines what a person does. Amen. And what... Uh, it really, it's a direct relationship between doctrine and daily life. In other words, putting it to work. You know, this week we start the practical section, and that's going to be over the next few weeks, Lord willing. We're starting here in chapter 4. We'll go through chapter 6. And this is the practical section of Ephesians. But we don't forget that chapters 1 through 3 are also practical, though they talk of our position in Christ. They ultimately lay the groundwork for the exhortations and warnings for the remainder of the epistle. One way in which Christianity differs, church, from other religions is that it is not only tells us what we ought to be and what we ought to do, but Christianity, by the power of the Holy Spirit, enables us to live according to God's high standards. We can lay the ostrich egg, so to speak, if God says we can. We can jump over the wall if He says we're able to do it with Him. Come on now. We can do the impossible because with God all things are possible. We never, never should forget that. Before we begin, let's pray. 
Oh, I thank you for your people here today, your church, Lord, your body. And Lord, we're all members of one another, of that same body. Father, as we look into your word today, I as your servant, and that's all that I am, Lord, your servant, want to communicate your word to your people. Father, use me as your vessel today. Your word is anointed, it is alive. Father, reach our hearts with your word. Soften our hearts. Give us good ground in which to sow your seed today, Lord. Bear the fruit in each one of your people today that you so desire. Lord, I thank you for doing just that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Three main points of emphasis here in chapter 4 of Ephesians today that we're going to look at. The first one is unity of the Spirit. We'll see that in chapter 4, 1 through 6. We'll begin reading there. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now here Paul automatically he identifies, as we've heard him before in the past, calling himself a prisoner or a servant or a slave of the Lord. He, he's been taken captive by the Lord in his life on planet earth at this time, and he now lives solely to serve God and his purposes. This apostle Paul that we so look up to. And you know, really every believer has been taken captive by the Lord. If we're truly a believer in Christ, we now we don't belong to ourselves any longer. He purchased us legally with his blood, and we belong to him. And indenturing ourselves to the Lord and serving him, we then do find freedom. Where's my sound man at? I need him to talk me down just a little bit. Amen. He's doing double duty today. Praise the Lord. And uh, should be one of the top labeled Pastor Jerry. Just turned me to the left just a slight bit. I'm ringing up here. I don't know if you hear that where you're at, but I, I sure do. That's good right there. Amen. Thank you. Well, here we're talking about Paul being a prisoner of the Lord. He's telling us to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Notice the tense, and I'm going to draw your attention to that throughout this chapter as I have in previous weeks. Been called. You and I have been chosen in God for when? The, before the foundation of the world. When we were called Ephesians 1, we were in chapter 2, we were seated with Christ. We're seated, not are seated, or to be seated. We were seated with Him in the heavenlies. When He was raised up, you and I positionally were raised up with Him. So Paul is now, he's saying, look, you... Believers, as all of us, need to walk worthy of the calling into which we've been called. In other words, Brother Raj, you are now an heir of God. You are now a co-ruler with Christ. You are now, in this life, as you breathe air, an ambassador for Him. You represent Him in this world. Uh, you and I have a choice. We have options. Okay, we still have free will. Uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> I say that. Fortunately, but unfortunately. Some of you know exactly what I mean. You all should, amen. You can choose to live according to the carnal man, or you can choose to live for him. Paul said, basically, walk worthy. Do the right thing. And then he goes on in verse 2, with all humility... Being humble, not proud, not arrogant, humble. How many like humble people? 
Do you like dealing with somebody that's arrogant and proud and boastful? And, no, we, we kind of shy away from that. Sometimes we do that and don't even realize. Amen? But we, 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 God is, puts a premium on humility and, look, gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Unity of the Spirit. That's what I get out of these first six verses of Ephesians 4 is the theme is unity of the Spirit. Make an effort, he says. Bear with one another in love, eager to maintain or earnestly, I believe the King James says, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now those are all fancy words. Sounds like poetry, doesn't it? He strings together a whole bunch of words there. But if you really look at each of those words, that's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? It's usually just the opposite of what we are in reality. But he's reminding the church, no, no, this is how you need to walk. Because you've been called out of the opposite of that to live like this. You know, when we see brothers or sisters in the church and they might act a little rough around the edges or might be a little forward in their speech or whatever, how are we to be that are mature in Christ? Humble, loving, kind, patient. Why should we be patient with somebody else? Because Christ is patient with us. We need to consider ourselves. And he was working with me when I was rough around the edges. I may still be, and I know that in some areas I am quite rough around the edges. Oh, hallelujah. Help us, Lord. We're not all where we need to be yet. I noticed I said all, all, everybody. We're not where I'm not where I need to be, are you? No, I still come short. But Paul isn't saying, well, just do the best you can and you know, we understand if you're an idiot. We understand if you're going to be a sinful fool. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He sets the bar pretty high. and says, this is how you need to be. Now, why would he say that if we could not obtain that? Because we can attain that. Amen. It's not in the can do. I can do all things. It's in the want to. Yeah, it's awful quiet in this Presbyterian congregation. Come on now. I can do all things. Amen. That is even be humble and gentle and meek. Patient. Amen. And we're going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. You know, I look around in the world we live in today. Particularly in the world we live in today. And I don't know about you, but it's particularly we live in a very different world in the 2000s than we did prior to that. How I many know that? And uh, the electronic age that we're in, this age of information, I believe that's what it would be called today, the age of information. Sometimes we have too much information. <clears throat> we have an overload of information. And we have all type of uh, people who name the name of Christ, claim to be Christian, and I, I have no right to say whether they are or not. It's not my business. Uh, nor would it be yours, you know. But a lot of professing Christians or believers on social media today, whether it's Facebook or it's Twitter or Snapchat, any of these particular uh, type of venues, applications that are out there, you know, you see a lot of young people, their heads buried in the phone when they're walking down the street, whether they're sitting at a restaurant, no matter where they're at, they're probably sitting around the dinner table. Yeah. 
looking at the phone and the applications on the phone rather than talking to somebody across from them. But what I've noticed, and particularly on you know, YouTube, uh, different various uh, chat groups and things like that all over the web, worldwide, people today, Christian, I'm talking about, I'm not on there going to these unsafe sites and, and interacting with non-Christian people. It's not, uh, you know, not going to happen. But I'm talking about on Christian sites, people will lamb blast other believers over what they believe. Or they'll call them all kind of names. You hear people all the time saying, well, this person's a false prophet, or this person is teaching false, this person, and, and yet, hey, hey, let's back up a second. There, are, there is false doctrine. There are wolves in cheap clothing. There are false prophets. But not everybody that disagrees with you is a bad person or a false prophet. Paul says, walk in love, maintain. King James says, endeavor, make an effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And what do we see in the world we're in now is people making a concerted effort to do just the opposite. And what does the world see, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about body life, what do they see when the church is fighting one another, arguing with each other, calling each other names? They see a dysfunctional body. They see a body that's out of order. That's a freak of nature. Now your own body, hello, if you're walking down the street, Sister Teresa doesn't walk down the street in her neighborhood and punch herself in the face. If you're walking down the street punching yourself in the face, Teresa, you, you're a freak of nature. Something is wrong. They're going to lock you. Put a, they have a rubber room with your name on the door waiting, just waiting for you. Because that's not normal. It's not normal to attack yourself, right? But the church, we see that. I just thought I'd mention that because it's so prevalent in the world we're in today. It's a sign of the end time. You know, when we had people talking about the, the different signs, we had the blood moon tetrads, the different signs, the Revelation 12 sign, the uh, eclipse sign. And so many people, like myself, believe those are signs from God to the human race pointing towards an end time end times that is just ahead. And people will come out and lamb blast you like, like you're some kind of idiot or freak. What does the world see when they when they hear that kind of church is dysfunctional. You know what I, you know what God is doing by allowing that? He's judging people. Judgment must first begin at what? The house of God. God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the sinner and the ungodly appear? The people in the world. We see what they're doing. Have you noticed the scandals in Washington that are taking place? And all of these things being exposed? God is behind that church. Satan doesn't expose that. He doesn't want to expose the Harvey Weinstein assaulting uh, 29 different actresses. He, he wants to keep that on and, and continue with that. See, God is bringing things to light. Everything that's hidden will be brought into the light. Now we see in the church being brought into the light. Now let me, let me ask you this. If I'm a Christian, which I do believe I am, and I believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon, and I'm actually looking for him, and I think these signs could be significant. Something could happen, but I didn't say it would. I said it could. Why am I a freak or a 
to be lamb-blasted. Isn't that what Jesus said we should be doing? Now think about this. We're not even hurting anybody. We're not hurting, hurting anybody. And now think about this. And the world wouldn't take us seriously anyway. But they come out and lamb-blast people that, that believe in this. And, and think about this for a moment. They say no man knows. No man knows the day. Okay, hold on a second. Yet they'll turn around and say, well, he's not coming on trumpets, or he's not coming on Yom Kippur, he's not coming on the Revelation 12 time. Now they just contradict themselves, did they not? If no man knows the day, how can you say for certain he's not going to come on certain? Is my logic flawed, or am I just thinking reasonable? Well, what do we have? What do we have? We have the... Are we walking in humility, patience, and love, bearing one another? Hello? What it tells me is those people don't really believe Jesus is coming. Because they're not looking for it. They don't believe. And you know what? That's a fulfillment of 2 Peter. In the last days, scoffers would come, saying, where is the promise of His coming? All things continue on as they have since the beginning of time. He's not coming back. Do you know He was talking, that's, that's the church saying that? Paul wasn't saying, the, the world's not looking for Him at all. The church would be in a condition where it's not even looking for Jesus. That's when He shows up. Moving on. Come on. Somebody say, He's preaching now. Paul said in verse 4, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called out in one hope that belongs to your call. There's only one church. There's only one body. There's not ten different ones. You're either a believer or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. What sign is on the front door of the building you're sitting in really makes no difference. Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, it doesn't make any difference. Are you saved? Do you know Christ? Do you believe He died for your sins and rose again? Are you born again? That's all that matters. Come on. And there's only one Holy Spirit. There's only one church in heaven. Not going to be different denominations up there. Come on. He said there that there's one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Oh, hallelujah. Now, that's not saying God is in everybody. Some folk will quote that out of context. We just read the context. He's in the believer. All of us, He's in. Why should I treat you kind and be gentle toward you? Because Christ is in you. If I treat you otherwise, then I'm, I'm, I'm treating Christ poorly if you're His body. If you hit my hand with a hammer and you say, I don't mean the personal passenger, you're going to smash your hand with a hammer. You're affecting me. Because my hand is part of me. We have to understand we're a part of one body. We're to continue and to strive or endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. To love one another. Amen. That's the undergirding factor is love. Love will keep us together. It's the glue that binds and holds us together. Unity of the Spirit. Secondly, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, before I go into that, or I should say Paul goes into that, in verse 7 we have to understand there are different type of gifts of the Spirit. And in this particular passage, he's only dealing with the ministry gifts of the Spirit. Here in Ephesians 4, you have 
uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians. Hello. You have uh, the gifts of uh, what we call motivation gifts in Romans chapter 12 uh, that are given to men. And then you have these body gifts for the life of the body that are given by the Lord Himself. And I want you to see a very profound passage that he quotes here out of the Old Testament. And Paul elaborates on that, gives us more light. Verse 7, but grace, everybody say grace. 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 Was given to each one of us. Say each one of us. Each one of us. So you can turn around, look at your neighbor, and say, God has given you grace. God has given you grace. That's a fact. And it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. Isn't that amazing? Every believer, every person in here, has been given the grace of God and the gifting of God according to His gift. Now, now, now think about this for a minute. When you, we'll, we'll relate it illustration-wise. And my illustrations are always fairly weak, so bear with me. But as children, we like getting presents. Christmas, right? Absolutely. If you don't, something wrong with you, you know. Johnson, I still might get when you were like five or six, that was the, that was the real thing. You know, no. didn't matter what you got, if it had your name on it, it's good. Then they get a little older, they get more specific. You know, but if somebody gives you a gift, or you give somebody a gift, it's just an act of you. You, you want that person to have something, right? And and you're giving them something. It may be something as a school child, maybe they need shoes or clothes, maybe something they need. Maybe just something they want, a game or a toy, whatever. If you're a parent, you try to give all your kids sort of equal amounts of uh, whether you don't try to show favoritism, you understand. That's why my illustration could be a little weak. But you know, God doesn't give each of us the same gift, nor the same amount of grace. Amen. Did you know that? Now the one who gives the gift, I mean, if your aunt or uncle comes over to your house on Christmas and they one gives you a gift, another one doesn't. Well what I mean, is there is their prerogative whatever if they want to give you something or not, right? Okay, that's all I'm trying to say. Christ says I give to every man a gift according to the measure in which I give it. That's what Paul was saying. Now Paul, he got a really big gift. Think about it. 2,000 years later, we're still reading from the, the words Jesus gave to him. But he didn't give me that same gift. Am I mad at Paul? Or am I upset or jealous because Paul? No. The same God my father is the same God of his father. I'm glad I got what I got. You know, come on now. It's called just being grateful for what you have. When some child cries about what they get on Christmas, I mean, though, when they get a little certain age, maybe seven, eight, nine, eight, they're just glad to get something. Maybe ten, eleven, oh, I wanted this. You didn't, you're mean. You didn't do you know, that. What's that called? You're, you're a brat. Greedy. You just, you just lost your mind. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. And probably don't appreciate what they really did get. But see, God has given us grace and gifts for our benefit. Now, He's going to talk about, again, I said there are spiritual gifts, there are motivation gifts, 
uh, that, that take us through life, and they're also ministry gifts that He gives. We're talking about body life today. He gives grace gifts to the body. And uh, let's read on and see this wonderful passage here. He says that it's according to the measure of His gift. And He says, therefore it says, when He ascended, that is Christ, on high, He led a, he led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Now He goes on in, in brackets in my Bible, maybe in yours as well. Verse 9 and 10 is in brackets. He says, in saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one also who ascended far above all the heavens, plural, that He might fill all things. That's the goal. That He might fill all things. We're going to see here under the heading gifts of the Spirit, the nature of the gifts, and then ultimately the purpose for the gifts. You know, sometimes we give a gift, it's just to give a gift, but other times there's a reason for that gift. And the giver of the gift is looking for a return. God, the giver, wants a return from the gifts that He gives. He wants something in return. And we'll see that as we move along, the purpose of the gifts. But let's look at the nature. When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives... Who were these captives that he led when he ascended up on high far above the heavens? Let me give you a little bit of a, a clue here, okay? And you have to read the scriptures to get the whole picture, but I'm going to give you the, the story. Do you remember when Jesus gave us the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus, the poor beggar, who died looking for the crumbs off the rich man's table, had sores all over his body. The rich man lived sumptuously. Both died in the course of time. They both went to where? To a place called hell. Sheol. Sheol. Okay, they went to hell. You say, wait a minute, what's hell? Notice Paul in brackets he said, no, he who ascended is also the one who also descended. Are you all familiar with the Apostles' Creed? That's important that he descend. Now, here's the difference between word faith preachers, okay, and what I'm going to tell you right now, okay. Word faith preachers teach that Jesus was just a man. He died and he paid the price for your sin in hell. And then he became born again and was raised up. That's a lie from the pit of hell, okay. The truth of the matter is it is in your Bible. He died on the cross as God and as man, 100% of each, for your sins. When He died on the cross physically, He physically died, He said, it's finished. Your redemption was finished. Now He did, as Paul just said, mentioned, went into the lower part. He went into hell. But He did not go there to suffer or bear atonement. He went down triumphant. The moment he died, he went down triumphant. Death could not hold him because it had no claim on him. He had committed no foul or sin. He was total victory over the spirit world. Immediately, he laid down his life, shed his blood to buy you and my redemption. That's all it took. That's it. The anguish of his soul was on the cross, not in the ground or in the grave. Now, his body was in the grave, 
his spirit and soul went into Norma. He preached to those captives who were held there by sin. And when he rose up, he brought them up with him. Hence the word first fruits. We're going to celebrate what the Gentiles call Easter. Why don't we talk about that? That's really what Easter is, not what is claimed to be. First fruits. Now, prior to the cross, all the way back to Adam. Adam was the man who sinned, the first man, and we all died with him, born in death. They looked forward to the cross for salvation, people in the Old Testament. We look back to the cross for salvation. What's the main focus? The cross. They look forward in time, and we look back in time to that same event, over one. When a man died, woman, for mankind is what I'm talking about, no matter who you were, you went to hell. All men went to hell. You said, what do you mean by that? Preacher, I don't understand. Hell was divided into two compartments, basically. One was called Abraham's bosom, where Lazarus went, and he was comforted. And it was a place of hold, a holding cell, basically. But they were still in hell. Across the river, which mythology calls the river Styx, was the place of torment where the rich man was. Now notice the rich man had his right mind. He was having a conversation with Abraham. And he even said, send back Moses or one of the prophets, because that's where they were, Moses and the prophets. They were there to tell my brother not to come to this place. He said, if they don't believe the word, they're not going to believe one raised from the dead. So there was this place here. So all men were held captive because of that sin nature. And when Christ died, He broke the chains over the human race. And He led them spirits captive. He took up the captivity of mankind, the righteous saints. He took them to heaven. So that that's where they are today, in heaven. That place of Abraham's bosom is empty. Been empty for 2,000 years. Now the other side is, is fuller than it's ever been. And that's why, part of the reason why we're here, to help people not to go there. Amen. We're that stopgap to bring people to faith in Christ. But he emptied that. Now, if a Christian dies after the cross, after the resurrection, he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. We go immediately to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We don't go back down there like they did. We go to be with the Lord. But we're not complete. Neither are they. That's their spirit and soul. They're waiting in a, a resurrection, a future resurrection. Ours comes first, the church, and then the Old Testament saints afterwards, seven years afterwards. Here you go. Let's read on. Now he mentions that in here. I just want you to know what that meant. That's kind of a sidetrack, but you need to know that. When he rose up, he took the captives with him into heaven. He emptied hell, basically. That's why he descended. Now the Bible says he made a show of those principalities and powers who had control over that domain. Openly. Triumphing over them in his cross. If the princes of this world had known what he was going to do, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he, he stripped them naked in front of everyone. 
They're a defeated foe. For all intents and purposes, they are a defeated foe because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He ascended. He said in verse 11, and he gave gifts, right? Verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 7. He gave gifts. In verse 11, it says he gave, here's the gifts apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. He gave gifts. But what are those gifts for? What's the purpose of those gifts? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the purpose, okay? To equip the saints. So what's Pastor Jerry's job? To be the church by myself and do all the ministry work? No, that's not my job. You're the minister. I'm just here to equip you to do the ministry. You are the saints. You are the minister. I'm here to equip you. And what is your ministry? Building up the body of Christ. That's my ministry rather. To build up the body. That's your ministry too. We're to build up. I'm given to build you up in your faith. To strengthen you. To equip you. Till we all attain, here's the goal, the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. How mature is that? You know, when we're born into the world, we're what? Babies. We got one back here with us right now. We got one in the oven. And we got one, one on the counter. Amen. Babies. Well, we don't expect babies to act like they're teenagers, do we? Because why? They're not mature. We don't expect teenagers to act like they're babies. Come on now. Well, you know, there's a growth cycle. Teen, toddler, I mean babies, toddler, teen, adolescent, a young adult, a middle-aged, elderly. You see a growth cycle? Maturity. We mature throughout our life. And that's what we do also in a spiritual sense. And the ministry gifts are given to us to help mature us and how far do we go in maturing? Well, look, look, at, look, look what he says here. This is amazing. To the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. John, is that what he really says? Do you think he means what he says? Did he say what he means? That we can grow into the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Now, you know, I, I, I know myself, I, I, when you see me, you don't see Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I, hopefully I'm not a long way from what I was. But you know, I think about some of these guys that I've met a few in my life, and I, and I think about Paul and those guys, you know, if you saw them, you'd be just like seeing Jesus. Because they have matured and grown in God so much. Now, they would never say that. Because they do know. But to you and I, for all the time, they would be just like Jesus. And matter of fact, you read what they did, they were doing the things that Jesus They were like, dead people were coming back to life, blind and eyes were opening. I haven't done that lately, have you? You know, I mean, they got so full of the Lord, so full of the Spirit of God, that, that they were literally doing the work of God on the earth. They were like little Jesuses everywhere they went. And that's the goal of God for you and for me. Amen. Now, I know the ministry get a pastor, teacher like myself, is I, God might just have me one step ahead of you. Just say, you look, this is where we need to go next. Come on up here. And then I learn something and I'll come on up here. And, and we're just to encourage one another, equip each other, because ultimately, you are the minister. 
You are God's minister on this earth. You're His ambassador, His representative. You are the light and salt of the world. And if not you, who? So we, do we need to take our walk with God serious? Church, come on. You better believe we do. It's a serious calling. We're told, remember in the opening chapter, to walk worthy of that vocation that we've been called into. We're called to represent Jesus and ultimately to be like Him in this life. Amen. Now in the resurrection, we're going to be transformed and that work is going to be completed as far as this life is concerned. But up to that point, I've got, I've got a, a whole ceiling up ahead of the growth for, for Jesus. How about you? I mean, I know I do. Come on. So we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, the fullness of Christ, the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitfulness and deceitful schemes. Now you know that goes on all the time. And I do remember as a young Christian, I'll just give you a little, we're talking about winds of doctrine, human cunning and craftiness, deceitful schemes. He's talking about in the spiritual realm, in the, in the religious realm. I remember when I first got saved, I was so excited about Jesus. I loved the Lord. And I would go to meetings all over the place, man. Just to go to a meeting. Come on, man. I remember them days. I mean, I'd go five days a week. You think he was fanatical about football. I was ten times more fanatical about Jesus. I was gone every night of the week. Finding a revival. Finding a meeting. But I was also a babe in Christ or a child in the Lord. I didn't know. I wasn't mature enough to know what I knew now. And I remember going to some meeting. One fellow was evangelist, Bob, something or another, who came down to fill the big concert hall in D.C. I'm from D.C., so forgive me. And we go down there, and he was called the happy preacher. And he must have took up like five offerings. His preaching wasn't even much of a biblical at all. I mean, he was just, you know, but I was fine to meet, glory to God. We're going down to see this happy preacher, Brother Bob. And he was selling records and he couldn't even sing. It was bad. It was bad. Well, what was the guy doing? He was raking in money off of ignorant Christians. And he probably wasn't even saved, if you want to know the truth. Happy Father, happy preacher. I have to look him up. I can't remember. But I will give you a little story. Fast forward a few years from there. And, you know, you turn on your TV set, you see a whole lot of that stuff going on. I, I had taken over the church here my first, uh, second or third year. Uh, one of our dear brothers come to me and said, I got this letter in the mail from this preacher fellow and I watch him at night on TV. You know, and he's always telling you all these good things. You got to send your seed money in and you get this back. He said, man, I sent some money in. Pretty good song. And I don't leave me alone. I said, brother, you just got took it. You got, just got taken from a crafty scheme. You'll have, if you tune in a lot of these preachers, you'll see all, all the times. Uh, and, and let me say this. There are so many good ministries and people out there serving the Lord. You know, Pastor Jerry, I don't drive around in the Lord's voice. It's, it's like 30 years old and barely running. You know what I'm saying? I'm not taking your money and, and, and living high on the hall, okay? But there are people who do that stuff. And, and there's nothing wrong with having a nice home. And, and, and you don't have to live 
in a, and drive a smoke buggy to be humble. You understand? <laughs> that really doesn't make you humble. It just means you, you're broke, okay? But a lot of us good preachers, we, we try to serve, but we, we just, we, we, we try to keep food on the table and just survive. You understand? But you'll see often on these, like, send in your offering and we'll pray over it and send you this back. Maybe a prayer cloth or a healing thing or a pile of water, anointed water. But we will send in your, we'll, we'll stretch out before the Lord. And you send us a hundred dollars. We're going to feed the hungry children in Africa. In Africa. We're doing a good work. So they got you emotionally tied in. We need to help you. And they'll show you a little video clip. Little bloated bellies, little kids in Africa. All the while, the preacher takes in, lives in a multiple million dollar mansion. I'm not gonna, I know the name. I'm not going to give you the name. Lives in a multiple mansion. And just like our politicians are doing to the unsaved Gentiles, we'll get to that in a minute as we close it. The Gentiles, these preachers are doing the same thing to the church. Okay? And that's why you have people like myself. I'm teaching you. I'm equipping you. I'm telling you God's Word so that you be on alert for that. You, you be careful what you fall into. Uh, I've been made a fool of in the past. And I probably, hopefully, won't fall into that trap again. But uh, they will say, well, how do we know they're not... They'll audit these people, and as long as the organization, they set up a board, and the board's usually family members or friends, and the government will say, well, well you took in 500000 for this Africa thing, but you only gave ten thousand to Africa. What happened to the four hundred and eighty thousand or four hundred and ninety thousand? All they have to say is that well that was administrative expenses and building his mansion, you understand. And it's it's legal to do that. Now in the political world, and I, I, I thought this we took note because uh, our former President Obama on October thirty first, which is not a very nice day is opening up his new foundation like the Hillary Clinton Foundation, President Barack Obama Foundation to take donations to his foundation. Now, of course, they just tied Hillary with that fellow Weinstein in Hollywood who's molesting these actresses and so forth. But they get away with this behavior because it's legal. Okay, it's, it's legal. All your... Congressmen and senators, now why didn't they overturn the Affordable Care Act when they all said for seven years, well, this is a bad deal, we're going to overturn it. So now they got the check, check papers laid in front of them, overturn it. Nope. Why? Because those drug companies that are funding that, now who's crying in the news yesterday? Drug companies don't want this deal. This president signed it. He said, I'm not going to fund it. So now they're crying against the president because they're making billions. Have you noticed lately, just this one 12, year, 12 month cycle, how many drug commercials on your TV during any show you're watching? There's like 10 of them have cropped up over the last 12 months. More than normal. They're making killing selling new drugs. Just like those TV preachers get on there and they tell you what they want, think you want to hear, not what you need to hear or should hear. And what happens? You get bamboozled. So we're not to allow it to happen. We're, we're to grow up into maturity 
so that we don't fall prey to this. And he says, but rather speak the truth in love. Grow up in every way into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Talking about body life. We're to grow up into the head. From the whole, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does the church grow? He gives us a key there. We're all different members different members of the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. And he uses a word there, if you notice, joints. Joints. Now what is that, how does that practically apply to you and me? Where the rubber hits the road. How does that apply to me, preacher? Joints and members. Alright, I want to tell you, a joint, it, what is this called here? And what is an elbow? It's a joint. What's this called? And it is a. And you got one here and here. And they're all over the place. We're going to use the elbow as an example. It joins the upper arm to the lower arm. If my joint wasn't here, these two pieces couldn't relate and then work together to move my arm. And so if we got a wrist. You got finger joints. You, it goes on and on. Toes. Some people double jointed. Hello. Come on. <laughs> but you get the idea. A joint is. No, it's not something you smoke. I know what you think. Come on. <laughs> now, the joint is. We talk about this. This kind of joint. It's in, in practical. It's a relationship. What ties you to another believer? You have a relation to church, the body. The church is held together by relationships. So that when we're in relation to one another, we're not just a collection of parts, which would be like a Frankensonian deal. You know, we'd be like Frankenstein, a freak. Just body parts all over. If I had a, a, a foot growing out of my elbow, that just would not look right. They have to be put in proper bone to bone, joint to joint, and the right relationship. The relationship is the joint that holds each one together. So when we're in right relationship and the world sees us as a body, we will helpfully reproduce. How do we get more folks in the church? Well, we get the preacher to give a sermon, swallow a live goldfish. Maybe somebody will come just to see that. We think, right, snake. We'll, we'll hand out snakes next week. We will. See, we, we, we put on shows. We need we need to put on live music. Got to break folk in. You know what that's called? That's just called worldly methods of trying. And churches are full of that today. Full of that. And it's an entertainment venue. You go to most churches, it's no longer a worship service where you go to worship God. It, it's a concert you go to be entertained. But it's the, the joints that hold us together. Another place he says ligaments and bands. And and those are relationships. And, they, and they're oftentimes under tension. You know, the, in order to move my hand up, i got muscles going in one direction and then going in the opposite direction. You see? 
So there has to be a dynamic attention. Not everybody's going to see everything the same, look the same, act the same, but we're to maintain unity all the same in the body of Christ and work together in love. And how do you do that? By keeping it in perspective. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Being patient with others because God is patient with you. And then we move forward. And when a body is healthily, Paul says, working properly, it makes the body to grow and it builds itself up. You know, you take two healthy adults, male and female, hello, you put them together, what happens? Boom. They reproduce. You take two sick people, put them together, it might not work the same. You want to grow in the church? Just be healthy. Come on now. Talk the truth now. Just be healthy. The church will grow. You don't have to do anything to make it grow. Just love your neighbor, walk in love, and it'll build itself up. Amen. Thirdly and lastly, the rightness of life. We have unity of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit given to the body for body life. And we see the rightness of life. Paul is talking here to the Ephesian church. They are primarily a Gentile body. They're not Jewish in nature. Uh, he was Jewish, obviously. But uh, it was primarily Gentiles. Now the church today, as we look and survey it, is still primarily a Gentile body. There are Jews in it. Amen. Thank God for many Messianic Jews coming to the Lord. That shows that we're getting near that time of the end when the Jewish people are becoming more open to the Gospel. Amen. But it's made up of both Jew and Gentile. But generally, we were not Gentile. We were not a Jewish institution for 2,000 years. Paul said, Now I say this and testify, Lord, that you must no longer walk. And that walk means their manner of lifestyle. As Gentiles do. Now here's how Gentiles walk. That's you and me. Look what he says. In the futility of their minds. Think about it for a minute. Normally we fancy our minds, don't we? Or the vanity of your mind. Somebody got King James. <laughs> he talked about the futility, the emptiness of your mind. You know, we fancy our way of thinking. We fancy our opinion. We fancy how we look at things. We fancy our cleverness and our intelligence and all of that. But you know, as a believer over the years, one who began to mature, I don't, I don't rely on that any, solely or any longer. Now, I, I, to the point that I'll take a stand that everyone else will say in their mind, no, that ain't right. But if the Lord says to me and my spirit is right, I'm going to stand on it. Because I don't need to go by my mind. Most people go by their mind. Truth doesn't have to go by your mind, okay? And it normally doesn't. <laughs> It'll bypass that, that particular organ, if you would. But he says here, the Gentiles primarily, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated or estranged from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. Now here he's using physical illustrations of body parts to describe a truly a spiritual condition. Hardness of the heart. He's not talking about uh, hardening of, uh, what do they call it? Arterial sclerosis. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a spiritual condition. Having a hard heart. Like Pharaoh had a hard heart. You know, uh, like Ananias and Sapphira, they hardened their heart. Lied to the Holy Ghost. You know, we, we can, we got to watch out our condition of our heart. 
and, and that's what he's saying here, our understanding can be darkened. Our minds can be corrupted. Do you understand that? I know that. See, I walk with the real reality of that every day. I know that. But there are people, believers, who think, well, I'm not fooled, or I know the score. I really know what's happening. And in fact, they, they don't know. They're, they're totally alienated from the Holy Ghost. They don't even know they're wrong. These people on these chat rooms that are blasting out against it. They don't even know they're in error. That's, think about it. That's frightening. They think Jesus said at some point before the end, men will kill you thinking that they're doing God a service. Who's the enemy of the state today? Right-wing Christians? According to the left. Come on now. Am I wrong? They will call evil good and good evil. I mean, that's where society's moving. Why wasn't it like that 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Because the Holy Spirit was moving in revival. People would get saved. And I see less and less people coming to faith, walking it out, and more and more unrighteous. Come on. The church is losing its impact, its influence. I mean, think about it for a minute. We have a president now who has to overturn saying Merry Christmas and Governor Bill. Come on now, that's crazy. How did they get that far gone in the first place? You see what I'm saying? I mean, that's crazy. But that's where we're at. And what Paul is saying, your minds can be, and your understanding can be alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that's in you. A lot of ignorant folk out there. Just look around. I look at myself and I can say, uh oh, help me, Lord. Because I've been pretty ignorant too at times. Well, look what he says here. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, look, now notice the word sensuality. Now, I want to clarify that in just a moment. When you hear the word sensuality, What's the first thing that goes on shouting out? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Sensuality. Now, if you like me, we think about sex, right? First thing, boom, sex, sexual. Now, that would encompass that. But what he's really saying, and it encompasses that, don't get me wrong. Sensuality. What are believers to be? Sensual people or spiritual people? Spiritual. Okay. A spiritual person is someone who believes God, has faith in Him, believes the Word, and walks accordingly. That's a spiritual man and woman right there. That's, that's what we strive, that's what we're trying to be. A sensual person is someone who goes by their five senses. How many know what the five senses are? Hearing, smelling, tasting, seeing. Feeling. Feeling. Touch. Touch, taste. Five, that's senses. Senses. We say, well, that's what, that's what we go by, right? No, that's what the fallen world goes by. If I judge you or you judge me according to those things, you, you and I could be very wrong. Do you know God doesn't judge that way? He judges by the truth, by the Spirit. 
talks about how when men appear before the Lord, he'll he'll know them before he 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 just reads them as soon as they walk in front of him. He don't have to say a word to you, Roger. He'll look you in the eye and everything you've ever done and ever thought will be manifest right in front of him. He don't have to go dig in and ask you questions. He just sees you as it is. He's reading you by his spirit. We need to learn to do that through exercising our spiritual sensibilities. We don't go by, somebody says, why, why do you let this brother do this or say it? He's kind of rough around the edges. or he Because I'm seeing something different than what you're seeing with your senses. You see what I'm saying? And that's how God reads us. None of us would be here today if God was going by our carnal life. We wouldn't cut the mustard. Come on, man. But he sees beyond that to what we become. And he works with us. And that's why we need to learn to work with one another. We're not finished products yet, amen? That's a part of the body life. We're not finished products. If we love each other for who we are, in spite of who we are, other folks will want that. They'll come in. They'll be a part, they want to be a part of that. If we sit here and judge folks at the end of our nose, or we come across as high and mighty, nothing to do with them religious people. You see? But sensuality, we don't go by the senses. And he says here that we're to put off in this righteous, this rightness of life, we're told what not to be, and then ultimately what to be. Now notice he says, put off your old self. Now, what you think for a minute? Well, I promise we're closing very shortly. Put off your old self. Only a believer in Christ, born again, has an old self. Amen. Now, what you think about that? That's profound. All unsaved people only have an old man. They don't have a new self. They can't put it off or put anything else on. They are what they are. You have an old self. And, and he's telling, he didn't say God will put it off for you, did he? You put it off. You have to do it. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is what? Corrupt through deceitful desires. See, your desires, my desires are deceitful. They're corrupt. Our, our way of thinking is warped. Now, a true Christian person that, that, that knows Christ has been around a little while. Not, not a new believer. No, no, no. You know that. You've learned that you are corrupt. I know I can't trust my mind. I cannot trust my old self at all. Now, many believers live in that realm and they still walk in that principle and that's why they have a lot of problems. Okay, Understand that. We're to put that off. And look what he says here. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, your mind is your greatest enemy. But Satan attacks the believer. And we're going to talk more about this next week. We're going to get deeper into this. When he attacks the believer, he doesn't attack, he doesn't come out with a, a gun to shoot you or uh, have, you know, kill you with a stab you with a knife or whatever. He attacks your mind. He's a spirit. Your mind is, has a spiritual nature. He attacks your mind relentlessly. So you have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you do that? 
You read the Word, man. Because God's Word is spirit and it's life. You pray, you read the Word, or else you will get... Now, if you, if you walk through... What if you go through your day, whatever you're doing, and don't take a shower at the end of the day? You skip. Well, I do that every now and then. Then you go through another day, and you don't get a shower, you skip. You go through another day, well, now you're standing by yourself because nobody wants to be around you, right? What happens if you just keep skipping the shower or the bathtub? You start getting a little right, hello? I mean, not a little, probably a whole lot. And you're getting dirty. Especially if some of you may be working outside in the dirt. Or you just, I mean, you just work in the kitchen and you get sweaty and dry. But you do what to remedy that? You, 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 you go to the bathroom or the water, you wash yourself, hello, put your new fresh clothes on, everything's good, right? And folks will sit around you and be around you, and you're all right. Now here's what I want you to say, why I'm saying all that. Yet a Christian, listen to me, you know, will only hear the Bible when they go to church. Or will they, they won't never read the Bible. That's just like not bathing. And what happens to your mind? I'm going to tell you, you begin to stink. What do we call that? Stinking thinking. Man, I had folks come up to me at the end of like, I'm like, you know, Pastor Jack, I was, you know, this is my couple, you know, what? Good Lord, what happened to you? Calm down, read the Word. Get in the Word. Get that mind cleaned up. And you're going to be alright. If you don't clean the mind, you're carrying a lot of... The enemy's going to load you up with filth, with bad things. And you'll carry that. And it'll affect you and your relationships and those around you. But thank God we can put that off. And then he says what? Put on. What does he say here? Let me see where is it at here. I lost my place. And put on the new self, verse 24, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off one thing and put on, put on the old man and put on the new man. You see that? An unsaved person can't do that. They don't have a new man. When did you get a new man? When you trusted Christ, asked Him to come into your life and He transformed your spirit, gave you, you were born again. Amen? You got a new man. So you put the new man on. Now if you've never been born again, you need to get born again, and then you have a new man to put on. But now why do believers then go around on social media or other platforms Lamb blasting and blasting of the Christians, blasting this, uh, speaking unseemly, uncomely things coming out of their mouth continually. Why do they do that? Because they're, they're they're walking in the old man. They're walking in the old man. Did I say they wasn't saved? No, I didn't say that. They're walking in the old man. They're not washing the mind by the water of the word. They're not renewing the spirit of their mind. Come on. And they're not putting on consciously the new man. And what are they doing? They're stinking. You know, I see that on social media and things, different platforms, and that, that breaks my heart, man. I think, do you realize what you're doing and how destructive you are by how you're acting and what you're saying? 
this is disgusting. This is bad. And they don't because of the ignorance that is in them. Their minds have become darkened. Their hearts have become callous. They call hardening of the artery of the heart. Hardened heart. That's what Paul said. Now, now, now. Rod, you ever use one of them post hole digger things? Many a time. Can you do that for a while and just have lily white hands and pretty little soft uh, <laughs> Why? Because it's working. It's labor. It's, it's working. And I never remember. I went up to, brother, I see a set of post hole diggers. They're about 15 feet long. And I'm like, my God, that's the biggest post hole I have ever seen. I was on Massachusetts. And I found out they wasn't post hole diggers. They was co-hogging tongs. But they looked just like post hole diggers. Only they was really, 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 really. And they would go to the bottom of the river and they would work in things and they would bring up this mud and it had them co-hogs or big giant clams like that. And these guys, man, they... You try that? You're sure? Like, you're supposed to work to talk like I'm trying, brother. They ain't moving. After about four or five of them, like my hands was look, look, this skin was piling off. These guys had they even they were wearing gloves. They had just blisters all over them. That it just it was just rough. Callous, callous. You think, well, what about the musician playing the guitar? You know, what an easy instrument to play. You know, they play a little guitar. You ever play the guitar? Man, that'll make your fingers just bleed. Have you ever seen a guy that plays a guitar, finger picking, I mean? Man, they got just, just like the post hole digger. Callous, callous. You can touch it, but they don't feel nothing. Because it's dead. The skin is dead. It's rough. But it protects them, you say, but it becomes rough. Now here's the bad thing. Spiritually speaking, if we are not putting off the new man and we're walking out in the old nature and we just don't listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting, our spiritual man, the heart, the spiritual part of a man, becomes callous, becomes rough. And, and then the Lord is still speaking, but we can't hear Him because we're past feeling. You can't feel the Spirit of God. And that's the danger of spiritual callousness. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And we need to avoid that in the body. We need to be sensitive to the Lord, to His leadings. We'll put that new man on. He says in verse 25, Put away falsehood, let each of us speak truth with our neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're part of that body, amen, the body of Christ. He says this, Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If you're angry with somebody, deal with it before the sun goes down. Don't let it go into another day. Why? Why? Because that anger will fester on you. It will grow. It will overtake you. And you will act appropriately, or rather I should say inappropriately, because of that anger. Don't let the sun go down. If you're married, you have a wife, or, you, or your wife, and you have a husband, don't don't go to bed angry. Amen? Because you wake up the next morning, and, and things would not be better, they will be worse. I get an old me on that. Amen? 
And uh, so he's telling us, don't let... Because that gives the opportunity for the devil to have access to our lives. And we're not to be listening to him any longer. We, we're to be followers of Christ and of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, if you give the devil a toehold in your door, into your life, he'll, he'll take a foothold. And you give him a foothold, the next thing you know, he's, in you, he's inside. Amen. And uh, we need to kick him out. Somebody say amen. amen. It's okay to get angry. Things will make you angry in this life. I mean, my goodness. But just don't let sin take over you. Don't let anger get the best of you. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now, I want you to think about it. That's a novel concept here in 2017. My goodness. You mean the Bible teaches that a man ought to work hard for a living? Give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Isn't that amazing? We thought that that come out of the Industrial Revolution. That's an American invention, right? No, no, that's in the Bible. And we would do well to heed the Bible. Amen? What did Paul say elsewhere? He said, if a man doesn't work, a man shouldn't eat. I don't know about you, I like to eat. Come on. <laughs> but we look to our, in a socialist society anymore, we want, you know, big government to just take care of everybody. And, and really, the principle is work, eat, God will take care of you. Amen? And uh, he, he tells us here, do an honest work and don't steal from anyone. You know, if we live by that principle, our social programs and, and the government and the amount of money that's spent, or I should say lost, on funding these programs, we'd have a much more richer nation. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, you look around and we think, okay, if we help people with assistance, okay, this is the mindset, this is why the world's thinking is not God's thinking. Shouldn't there be less people today Sister Robin, on welfare than there was 50 years ago? 30 years ago? Why would there be more people? Do you help somebody by giving them everything? No. Does most of us need help at one time or another? Okay, exactly, but you know, sometimes you help people not by giving them a fish but by teaching them how to fish so that they can feed themselves. And we have too many people looking for a handout today. And, and Paul had to deal with that here in the church at Ephesus. Because there are people, that's a mindset that grabs hold of that carnal mind. That, that entitlement mindset. And there are just folks out there who don't like working. Amen. You know, I've met, I've met folks over the years, I've had business of my own, worked for, ran other people's businesses, and I have seen almost everything. But you know, when I'm working for folks in, in the business I was in, I tell you, this is the truth. Okay? It's the honest and God truth. I have seen people that I work with who would spend more effort and time trying not to do what they were hired to do than to just do the job. That's no joke. I'm like, why don't you just do what you, you know, why are you spending all these efforts trying to get away from doing anything? Human nature. Sin nature, amen. 
But we're to work with our own hands. Amen. And look, look, look what he says here. This is, this is really neat. So that we may have something to share with someone else who may be in need. You know, God wants to bless us so much financially that we can help other people. Amen. Isn't that a novel idea? Come on. The idea that the church could help somebody who actually has a need. You know, there are people who refuse to work, and then there are people who, who want to work, but they can't find work. There's a big difference. Amen. There are people who will do anything not to work, then there are people who generally elderly, they can't work. Who should take care of those people in a perfect world, perfect society? I'm talking about the body of Christ who will one day rule over this world and be in charge. We see who's in charge now, what they're implementing, and it's not working. The church should be, you and I should be able to help those who need help. We don't need to look to a, a government agency for that. We help all. I just point you in the direction of, do, do the Amish need anybody's assistance? No. Why? They take care. It's ingrained in their society. Folk will make fun of the Amish, won't they? Well, you know, those people are backwards and they just... I admire them myself. Hello. I think we can learn some things from those people. Hard work and taking care of those. Now, you take care of those that need take care of them because you work hard and you have to give. Come on now. That's really what he's saying here. He says, let, and he goes on, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, speak things that build people up. Speak things that are uplifting, not, not, not tearing people down. Amen? And uh, those are two areas I need to work on anger, number one, and i got to watch what I say, number two. I don't know about you, maybe you don't have that issue. Uh, those are areas I need, I need God's help. And, and notice he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because when we do those things, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Hello? By whom we were sealed. Look what he says here. For the day of redemption. What's he talking about there? What's the day of redemption? The rapture. Come on. See, we can't get away from the rapture. Do you know that every believer has a destiny of the rapture. It's called the redemption of your body. That's what we look forward to. That's when we will lay aside this striving and we put on immortality. I mean, in other words, our work here is done. We move to the next phase. And he says, don't read the Holy Spirit because the moment we came to faith, we were sealed in our spirit with God's spirit. He came to dwell within us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He tells us to, to get rid of that carnality, that evil, unsaved way of living. And he says, instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I just don't know if I can forgive that person. Well, did God forgive you? That's all I need to look at. I can forgive anybody. Amen. I'm serious. I can forgive anybody. That doesn't mean we're going to 
put up with or tolerate or invite them in the home to continue if their behavior is bad, but you can forgive someone who does wrong. Why? Because God forgave me. And if we maintain that demeanor spiritually, we'll have a healthy church, a healthy body. In God's reckoning, there's unity in the body of Christ. There's only one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit, one hope, one Father, and such spiritual unity should be expressed in our outward unity. We should be on the same page. Can I get a witness? Amen. To avoid the negative characteristics listed in this chapter 4 of Ephesians, and to cultivate the positive characteristics listed here, is to make this outer unity possible. You know, Psalm 133 1 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And when we're one, as Christ and the Father are one, and the body is, becomes one, the world will want what we have. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.